Welcome. If you're a guest visiting with us today, I want to introduce myself. I'm Pastor Fred. Uh, thank you for visiting with us today. Uh, we have a small gift that we'd like to give you if this is your first time here, uh, or if you've never, if maybe it's your second or third time and you just uh, haven't received the gift yet. Uh, to get that gift, we just need you to text, uh, just get out your phone and text RC Guest, RC for Redemption Church, and then the word guest, just all one word, RC Guest, to 97,000. And uh, then that's just a real easy way to let us know that you're visiting with us today. And then on your way out, if you just stop by the welcome table and let them know that you filled out that quick form uh, that you receive back after you send that text message, they will give you uh, a little gift. And if you have any questions or anything that you want to talk about regarding uh, what we do here at Redemption or who we are, uh, please let me know. We'd love to talk. But most of all, I just wanted to say welcome and thank you for coming to check us out today. I uh, hope you enjoy, uh, are enjoying and enjoy the rest of the service as we worship an amazing, amazing God together. Today, before we get into the message, uh, today is what's known as Sanctity of Human Life Sunday. It's a tradition that's, that President Ronald Reagan started in 1984 uh, as a way for, for Christians mainly, but for all of those, Christian or not, um, to take time to send a message that human life matters always. The ab- abortion has been, uh, has been legal in this country uh, for several decades now, and that has led to, inevitably, the diminishing of the value of human life at certain stages of development or at, at, uh, often uh, the unfortunate fallout of that as well is that some humans are valued more than others. This is a topic um, that's very near to my own heart as I have a daughter who has both intellectual and physical disabilities. And as I see the world valuing less and less the life of those who perhaps live life here on earth a little bit differently than us, uh, it burdens my heart. And I want to see human life valued. The Bible teaches us that all human life is created in the image of God. We are, uh, as a church, one of the things that we're going to talk about today when we get to the sermon part is we're going through a a short sermon series on our four core values. The first and and most foundational of our core values, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, is that we are Bible-centered. That means that we look to the Bible for what is true and what is relevant and what is uh, instructional for us as a church. And one of the things that we see from the beginning of the Bible to the very end is that human life is valued in every stage of development. Uh, we're going to take some more time to talk about this subject in a couple of weeks. Uh, so a lot of churches will take this particular Sunday to have a sermon on the sanctity of human life. Uh, we're actually going to do that in a couple of weeks for some reasons, uh, just for some calendar reasons. And so I don't want to get too far into this, but I do want to just point out that the Bible always treats life in the womb of its mother the same as life after birth. And there are several instances throughout Scripture where human beings who are still in the womb uh, are referred to in Scripture. And it is always, always with the view that that life is the same life outside of the womb and inside of the womb. And that human beings have the same rights to life and that they are made in the image of God. And so I just wanted to take a moment and point us to that this Sunday. I also want to point out that we stand firmly with the men and women who have participated in abortion. And we boldly proclaim that God's mercy is sufficient for all who have participated in abortion. We know it's a reality of our fallen world. All of us sin on, in, in many different ways. And we know that it's a reality that there are people in this room who have participated in abortion. And we want you to know that God's love and mercy and grace are abundant and sufficient for you. He loves you in spite of any wrong that you have done. And so we celebrate that. That is the beauty of the gospel, that Jesus Christ came and died on our behalf for our sins. So just with that uh, brief homage to the fact that this is Sanctity of Human Life Sunday, would you pray with me uh, regarding this topic? And then I want to get into uh, what we're going to look at for our sermon uh, time today. Jesus, I thank you that you left heaven and subjected yourself to this sometimes 
crude process of being born as an infant human being. God, uh, Jesus, your life uh, and your incarnation here on earth was acknowledged even before you were born. In fact, one of the very first people on earth to respond to you was the in utero John the Baptist, your earthly cousin. And we see here terrific examples of the beauty and dignity of human life in the womb. And in a culture that doesn't always treat that with the value that you do, we seek you for your help. We ask for your mercy and your kindness upon this nation. We do seek that you would change the hearts and minds of those uh, who support the practice of, of killing children before they are born. And God, we ask that you would uh, mercifully intervene in our nation and around the world. And God, perhaps more pressing here this morning, uh, for those who are in this room, we ask for your mercy and your grace for the times during which we have not valued human life the way that you do. And we know that all of us are somewhere on, on that scale, whether we've ever participated in or encouraged abortion in any way, or whether we have just devalued the life of another human being walking this earth with us. We repent and we receive your mercy today. And God, we ask that you would help us to value human life in, in all of in all of its stages, and that you would be glorified in this. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, well, thank you for joining me in, in prayer for our country. Uh, I think it's a very important topic, and uh, like I said, in a couple of weeks we'll spend a little more time on that, and I look forward to, to that time together. So we are on our third of our four core values. The first two are Bible-centered and gospel-driven. And uh, you can go back if you weren't here and listen to what we had to say about those. Um, today we come to what's a little bit of a mouthful, but I, I've labeled grace-based daily discipleship. Grace-based daily discipleship. And all of those words are important to me, uh, and that's why we maintain, um, uh, this is a little bit harder to say, it's harder to say value of the four, uh, but I think it's important that we, we not lose sight of any of the pieces of that. So I want to just read for you how we state this in our, or in our core values document. You'll see this on your handout. There's a couple of blanks that you can fill in if you're choosing to follow along in that way today. Grace-based daily discipleship. The Christian faith is not merely a set of beliefs to be affirmed as true. It is a new life and a call to follow Jesus daily. To be Christian means to be seeking to grow in three areas, walking with God, loving each other, and seeking the lost. In all of these areas, we strive for what we call imperfect progress, relying on the grace and mercy of God each step of the way. So that's what we mean by grace-based daily discipleship. We're not here to, to recruit people who are fans of Jesus, we are here to call sinners to become followers of Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple. And I would argue that to be a Christian is to be a disciple. That if you are not living your life as a disciple, you have reason to question whether or not you are truly a Christian. When Jesus saves a man or woman he calls him to come and follow him. Being a Christian is more than saying you believe in Jesus. It's about following him as a disciple. It's the difference between being a fan or a spectator of a particular sports team and being a player on the team. It's one thing to put on a jersey and to stand, sit in the stands and cheer on the teams that we love. It's another thing to show up at practice to pay the price, to be committed, to be all in, to take the field together with the rest of the team, to play in the game and to be involved. And that's what Jesus calls us to. He's not looking for fans. He's not looking for spectators. He's looking for disciples, followers of Christ. 
We are saved by faith alone, but saving faith produces followers of Jesus. It's an important distinction in the Christian faith. James says it this way in chapter 2, verses 14 and then 18 and 19. He says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone claims to have faith but does not have works? Can such faith save him? Skipping to verse 18, he says, But someone will say, You have faith, and I have works. Show me your faith without works, and I will show you faith by my works. You believe that God is one good. Even the demons believe, and they shudder. It should be an awakening call to nominal Christians throughout the world. Nominal meaning those who are Christians in name only. Those who aren't truly followers of Christ. To hear what James has to say here. You think that you are a Christian because you believe in Jesus. Guess what? The demons believe in Jesus. He says you believe that God is one. Good. Even the demons believe and they shudder. There is a challenge, I think, when we, when we look particularly to the Gospels, and, and I think, I'm thinking of the Gospel of John. Uh, he, he calls people to believe in Jesus for salvation. And I certainly hold dear the doctrine that we are saved by grace through faith, not by our works. It is not our obedience that saves us. It is not the... The, the response of a life lived in following Christ that brings salvation. It is grace through faith that saves us. But yet there's this, there's this concept to biblical faith that we need to grasp. That to believe in the biblical sense is to trust in. And to trust in Jesus is to follow him. It's not mere mental assent. It's not mere agreement to, an, to a set of stated beliefs. It is that we have committed our salvation. We have, we have entrusted Jesus for our eternal salvation. That is what it means biblically to believe in Jesus. That we submit ourselves and turn over our lives to him out of faith. And who he is and what he has done. The demons have no doubt about who Jesus is, and it does not save them. I think too many so-called Christians believe that because they have the same set of beliefs about Jesus that the demons do, that they will be saved by that. Saving faith produces followers. Faith that is alive, faith that is real, faith that is trusting in Jesus inevitably creates followers or disciples of Jesus Christ. What is a disciple? Let me give you a brief definition that I operate from. A disciple is a redeemed follower of Jesus. A disciple is a redeemed follower of Jesus. It is someone who has been saved. We cannot, it's, it's not, it's, it's not the Christian idea or the biblical idea of a disciple to be somebody who just does the things that Jesus does without having entered into a saving relationship with him. Both of these ideas are equally important. We are saved by what he did and we are committed to following him by what we do. Disciples are redeemed followers of Jesus. Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, verse 34, it says here that he called the crowd along with his disciples and he said to them, if anyone wants to follow after me, let him deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life because of me and the gospel will save it. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Unfortunately, this describes so many people who identify themselves as Christians today. Not willing to follow, 
not willing to lay down our lives and take up our cross. You understand what it means to take up your cross. The cross is the symbol of death. One who carries a cross is someone who intends to die on that cross. Jesus is saying, are you willing to die? Not very often physically are we called to die. But always we are called to die to our old self. To the part of us that lived for so long in rebellion against God. To the part of us that that still to this day fights against what he desires and what he calls us to. We are called to die to that. We are called to take up our cross. That is our way of saying, I'm all in. My old life is gone. I'm dead to who I used to be. Now I live to serve Jesus. This was the call then to be a disciple. And it is the call today to be a disciple. And many in that day when Jesus spoke these words answered. They followed him. Many of them would go on to physically die. All of them would go on to die to, them, to their old selves. Their own desires. What they wanted for their life. And embraced the call to follow Jesus. For something far greater than what they could ever leave behind. It's interesting that he says in verse 35. Whoever wants to save his life will lose it. This is the counterintuitive nature of the gospel, that by trying to save our lives, we actually lose them. The thing that will destroy you the most is trying to hold on to your own life, your own desires, your own wishes, what you want for your life. That will destroy you more than anything. But when you lay down your life for the gospel and say, here I am, Jesus, I will follow you. Take my life. Use me for your glory. Use me for your eternal kingdom. Use me in any way you want. It's those people who truly experience life. Certainly life in the eternal kingdom, but life here and now as well. The greatest satisfaction, even in this life, in this world, is laying down our lives for the gospel. Laying down our lives to follow the one who laid down his life to save us. For what does it benefit someone to gain the whole world and yet lose his life? What can anyone give in exchange for his life? I think we've talked a couple of times over the last few weeks about people, I'm thinking back to our, our Christmas series when we looked at King Herod and, and some other examples that have come up over the last couple of weeks where we've, we've considered people who have accomplished incredible things in life. People who in the world's eyes have had it all. They had the money, they had the fame, they had the success, they had the material possessions. They had, whatever it is that man desires, they had it. Jesus says you can't, you can't use any of that to save your soul. In fact, those might be the very things that cost you your life. Then he goes on to say in verse 38, For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his Father and with the holy angels. That's a, that's a gut check for us. We have to stop and ask ourselves, in, in what ways... Or are we perhaps living ashamed of Jesus and his words in our own generation? In what way or perhaps are, are, are we ashamed for people to find out what we believe or who we follow or the fact that we are Christians? He calls us out of shame and into bold living for Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple. As a redeemed follower of Jesus, we don't live ashamed of the gospel. We don't live ashamed of our Savior, but we live out our lives for him and for his glory. Whoever will not follow Jesus because of what they won't give up will lose everything. Think about that. Whoever will not follow Jesus because of what they won't give up will lose everything. Maybe you're here today and you're not, a, you're not a follower of Jesus. 
You wouldn't consider yourself a Christian. You wouldn't consider yourself a disciple. And there's a very specific reason why. You've heard the gospel. You've heard the invitation to follow Jesus. But there is something, perhaps it's just one thing, that you refuse to give up. You know that if you follow Jesus, you'll have to stop doing something. Or you'll have to leave something behind and you won't do it. You consider it too great a cost. Consider the words of Jesus here. Let me implore you, whoever will not follow Jesus because of what they won't give up will eventually lose everything. The good news is that Jesus doesn't want you to lose everything. He wants you to have eternal life. Jesus says in John chapter 10, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. He came to give life. He came not to to take life, but to give it. But in order for us to receive the life that he has to offer, we must give up what we've held on to for too long. Whoever follows Jesus, prepared to give up everything, will live and gain eternal life. I love what Jim Elliott said. Jim Elliott was a missionary uh, in the mid-1900s who went to reach uh, a very antagonistic, uh, unreached people group who uh, were known for, for their murderous ways, and he would indeed give his life at the hands of the people whom he went to share the gospel with. But before he died, he said something that has lived on well past his life here on earth. He said, He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep, to gain that which he cannot lose. The words of a man who literally gave his life, who died a premature death seeking to spread the gospel. He is no fool who gives what he cannot keep. What can we keep? We cannot keep any of this. We cannot keep our health. We cannot keep our money and our possessions. We cannot keep our family. There is nothing here that we can keep. In a few weeks, we're going to look. We're going to begin a series on the book of Ecclesiastes. And the more I study it, the more excited I, I'm, I'm getting. This is one of the themes that comes up again and again in Ecclesiastes: is that the cruel reality of death. You cannot keep your life. You cannot keep anything that you gain on this earth. But he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain that which he cannot lose. Jesus promises his followers great gain. He calls them to lose everything. He calls them to let go of and to give up everything. But he gives them great gain. So, With that, just kind of as a little primer here on what it means to be a Christian disciple, I want to get into uh, what you saw in that opening statement there um, at the top of your handout. There are three relationships of discipleship. There are three relationships of discipleship. And you can probably fill in these blanks without me giving you the answers because I stated them already. But the first is walking with God. If we're going to be followers of Jesus, if we're going to be Christian disciples, if we're going to be those who respond to this call to take up our cross and follow him, holding on to nothing but being willing to leave it all behind, if we are willing to give even our very lives, then there are three relationships that we need to tend to as part of our discipleship. One, walking with God. It is an incredible reality of the Christian faith that the God of the universe, the one who created you, the one who created this world that we live in, the one who put the stars in place, who created galaxies, who created this unfathomable world that we live in, wants you to know him personally, wants to walk in relationship with you. In fact, he calls us into an intimate, an intimate familial relationship with him and One of the most beautiful ways that Jesus describes this is when he tells his disciples, he's teaching his disciples how to pray. And he says, pray then like this, our Father in heaven, Jesus, the Son of God, 
One with God the Father in essence tells us that we get to call God, the creator of the universe, our Father. And he invites us into this intimate relationship with him. The challenge is is that it's unlike any other relationship that we have. Because we don't see him face to face. We don't hear his voice audibly. We get to know him through his word and through his creation and through other people. It's, it's a unique relationship. And it, and it comes with plenty of difficulties in growing in this relationship. Nonetheless, one of the most, the most important relationship that we have as a disciple is our relationship with God. And so he calls us to walk with him. We do that by spending time with him in prayer. We do that by spending time with him reading his word and getting to know. The Bible, as we talked about when we were talking about Bible Center, the Bible is how God reveals himself to the world. It's how God reveals himself to us as Christians. It's how we get to know him. He has made himself known through his word. And so we walk with him. We, we come close to him through, through his word and through prayer and through spending time with other believers. If we don't take time to grow in this relationship, then we should not be surprised when we feel far from or separated from God. It's kind of like marriage. Those of you who are here today who are married, you you understand the reality. If you stop talking to your spouse and stop spending time together, and if you allow the busyness of life to, to, to crowd out the time that you spent building your relationship together, it's no surprise when you start to grow apart. When the love and the, the, the affection and, and, and the, the feelings of tenderness towards each other, when you don't take time to tend to that relationship, they tend to grow cold. The same can be true in our relationship with God. If we don't spend time with him, if we don't seek him, if we don't spend time in his word, if we don't spend time with him, talking to him in prayer, if we don't spend time serving him as part of our walking with him, then that relationship tends to grow cold. We, we tend to, to experience a sense of separation from him. The good news is, is that any time we turn to him, he's ready and willing to come near to us. In fact, he says, draw near to me and I'll draw near to you. What an amazing promise. If we draw near to God, he draws near to us. That we can be in a close Intimate relationship with the God who created this universe. The second relationship uh, that's part of discipleship is our relationship with each other. Loving one another. So walking with God is the first relationship. Loving one another is the second. And by loving, I, 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 certainly I, ha, I have in mind and the Bible has in mind the, the feelings of love. The, well, I, love, you know, it can be a noun and it can be a verb. I want to emphasize the verb aspect of loving each other. That by loving each other, we mean serving each other. We mean being involved in community with one another. That we mean, that we mean using the gifts and the talents that God has given us to build up the body of Christ. Jesus talks about believers as all members of his body. All members of, of one body that together we build each other up and we grow stronger together. That's the way he pictures Christian community in the Bible. And you have a part to play in that. You have a responsibility in that. God has given you the ability to help the people around you grow stronger in their faith. To grow stronger as disciples. And he calls us to, to love one another. To serve each other. We talked about this when we were in our sermon series in Ephesians. In Ephesians 4, I preached a sermon called Do Your Part, which was a call to each of us to find the unique ways that God has gifted us individually and then offer those gifts and offer those, those talents to the body as a whole so that together we will grow up into maturity. This is what Jesus calls us to. It's what it means to follow him, that we are called to community. We're not called to be isolated Christians living outside of community. Now, I know that to the introverts in the room, when I say community, you start to sweat a little bit. You start to break out in hives. And, and that's okay. You, you can live community according to the way that God has wired you. We're not all the same. You know, somebody said to me one time that people are kind of like Legos. If you, if you turn a Lego upside down, they all have uh, different numbers of receptors 
in order to take different pieces of Legos. And he said, and this guy was using this example, and he said, you know, some people, they're like, they're like those, those little Legos with the two pegs, and they can only take two pieces. And they, they need like two friends, two relationships in life. And then there are people that they're much bigger. They have a capacity for a lot, more clo- a lot more close relationships than other people. And, you know, that really made sense to me. Uh, Kim and I, even in our marriage, see that play out. Uh, I'm, you know, I have an introverted side to me at times, but I'm much more extroverted to her. And that doesn't mean she doesn't love people. Cause she, uh, in fact, I think she loves people way more than I do at times, but, but she's... Being in social situations, you know, takes more energy out of her, whereas at times it gives more energy to me. And God has created us in different ways. And if you're an introvert here, I don't want you to feel guilty that you don't desire to be around Christians all of the time. I mean, who does? Who wants to be around Christians all the time? But whatever, whatever your relational capacity is, God has called you into community. And he's called you to love the other believers that he's placed in your life. Certainly that includes your church family, but it doesn't have to stop there. I mean, we're, Jesus doesn't divide his body into the churches that meet together. We're all one body. He calls us all to the same body, to the same community. And so he calls us to love one another. He calls us into community. He calls us to use the gifts that he's given us to serve each other and together to build up the church and to help reach the lost, which is the third relationship, seeking the lost. We're called to walk with God, to love one another, and to seek the lost. These are the three relationships that all disciples must tend to in their lives. First and foremost, you need to be walking with the Lord, spending time with Him, in relationship with Him. You need to be living in community, loving and serving other believers. And then together we need to be seeking the lost. Last week's core value that we talked about was that we are a gospel-driven church. That means that in everything we do, we always have in mind the salvation of those who have not yet been saved by Jesus. We want people to come to Christ. This is not a social club for Christians where we come together and say, aren't we so glad that we found other people that we have this faith in common with? That's a beautiful thing. That's a great part of being a part of a church. But we are here to become equipped to go out into the world outside of these four walls and to reach the lost. To take the gospel to those who need to hear it. Luke 19.10 says, For the Son of Man, that's a, a, a name that Jesus uses to refer to himself, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save the lost, and so must his people. All of us, individually, must have as a priority in our lives the salvation of those around us who do not know Jesus. I've said it, I don't know, how many times now? Dozens of times since we launched last year, there are 150,000 people within a 20-minute drive of where you sit right now. 150,000 people, most of whom who do not know Jesus Christ as Savior. We want them to know. We want them to hear the gospel. If you think, well, I'm not sure who I'm supposed to reach out to, I don't know, pick one of those 150,000 people that you could get to within the next 20 minutes. Start with somebody. The reality is, is that those people aren't going to reach themselves. And sadly enough, I don't know how many other churches in this area we can count on to be doing the same. No, that's not to put anybody down. It's just a fact. It's just a reality that the church today has grown cold. The church today is not reaching out in general. I'm not speaking of any one particular church, but the church today in general is not reaching out to the lost in our community. There's, there's no anointed Christian that's going to ride into Lower Borough on a white horse and start preaching the gospel to everybody that we're refusing to go out and reach. It's up to us. It's our responsibility. 
This is our community. Those 150,000 people are the people that Jesus has called us to. He's called you to. And he's calling us to reach them. That's going to take some creativity. That's going to take some dedication. That's going to take some sacrifice. It's going to take making that a priority in each of our own lives. and For us as a church. I'm constantly thinking about how do we mobilize? How do we get outside of just what we do on Sunday morning? How do we get out there more? How do we get out into this community? How do we share the gospel with the people that aren't hearing it? Think that way with me. Let's think about what, it, what it's going to take and what it's, what it's going to require of us as individuals and collectively as a group to preach the gospel to the lost people around us, to declare and demonstrate. That's our mission statement. We want to declare and demonstrate God's plan of redemption. What's it going to take? Not spectators, not fans, disciples, followers of Jesus, people who, don't, who, people who aren't just content to say, I went to church this Sunday, I'm done for the week. People who are saying, I'll take up my cross. I'll follow Jesus. I'll pay the price. All right, with those three relationships in mind, walking with God, loving one another, seeking the lost, which one of these three needs your attention this year? Let me, I'm not done yet, but let me just give you, a, I just want to throw out a quick application question here. Because probably at least one of those needs some attention right now. Probably one of those, as you look at that list, you're thinking, you know what, I've, been, I kind, of been, I've kind of been slipping in my, my personal walk with God. I've been involved in church. I feel like I'm loving the people around me. I'm even thinking about the lost and, and trying, I'm inviting people to church. I'm looking for opportunities to share the gospel. But I'm just not spending time with the Lord. And I need to, I need to address that. I'm not, I'm not, we're not putting any guilt on anybody. We're going to talk about that in a minute. We're going to talk about what it means to be, to be, to be uh, grace-based. But, but it, it happens to all of us. We just lose sight of that personal time with the Lord. And, that just, and it's not just about a set time of devotion, but just making it a part of your life to be drawing near to him. Maybe it's that one. Maybe it's loving one another. Maybe you're doing great in your personal walk with, with the Lord and you're spending time with him. You feel close to him. Uh, you care about the lost, but you just don't really like spending time with, the, with your brothers and sisters in Christ. I get that. I mean, I look out here. I don't, I'm not fond of this group either. <laughs> That's just a joke. I love, I love this group. But I just want to challenge you, you know, it's, it's a vitally important relationship, the relationship you have with your church family and with the believers around you. One of the things I love uh, about what's happening so far at Redemption Church is our small groups. I think our small groups are a beautiful um, demonstration of Christian community. We have three different small groups that meet each week, and pe- we get together in people's homes. Uh, and there's there's a little bit of structure to it. Uh, usually, there's food involved, which is a good thing. We eat together. Um, we just kind of catch up, spend time together, and then we have a little study that we're going through, um, which actually is on discipleship, and we'll be in that until summer. And so, we'd love to have you jump in and, and join us for that. And then we just spend time praying with each other. And if there's things going on that we need to talk about, uh, we do that. But one of the things that we also do in our small groups is that each quarter, we meet in quarters that are about 10 weeks long. Each quarter, we, each group is commissioned to go out and do one outreach into the community. And uh, it just gets us thinking about how are we going to go out and reach this community. And then, you know... It, it just puts action to our words. We're not just here to learn about being a follower. We're actually here to do it. And that doesn't mean that's the only time you should go out and, and, and be in the community. But it, at the very least, we schedule that in and make it a priority. If you're not in a small group, I want to invite you. We'd love to have you. Uh, we, we just look forward to adding new people at any time to any of our small groups. You don't have to join at a, on a particular day. You can come in in the middle of the quarter, at the end of the quarter. It doesn't matter. Uh, we'd love to have you join us and be a part of that community. All right, then the last one. Maybe it's seeking the loss. Maybe you're, you're, you're doing fine in the first two. Uh, you're walking with God. You're loving the, the Christians around you. But you're just it's just not been a priority for you to reach the lost. 
I want to just gently remind you that if you are still walking this earth today, Jesus wants you seeking the lost. If you're still alive today, it's because he wants to use your life, not just so that you can know him and be close to him, not just so that you can serve other Christians, but so that your life can count to help bring other people into the family, to help bring other people to Jesus for salvation. And so make it a priority. We talked, I gave you a real practical thing last week when we were on Gospel Driven. Think of, write down the names of three people that you're going to commit to praying for them, caring for them, and sharing the gospel with them. And I hope you took that challenge. I hope you have three people in mind that you're, gonna, that you're regularly praying for now, that you're looking for opportunities to care for them, and then when God opens the door, you will take the opportunity to share the gospel, or at the very least, invite them to church where they can hear the gospel here in our community. Okay, so that's the three relationships. We've got a couple more things to cover here, so I want to go ahead and move on and, and get into these last couple points. Our primary motivation for following Jesus is grace. Our primary motivation for following Jesus, I struggle with how to word this one. Uh, I'm okay with this, um, but I want to, it needs some explaining to do. John 1.14 says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. That means Jesus came. We observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Love that phrase, that Jesus came full of grace and truth. It's important to know that Jesus is like a pretty big fan of truth. He believes in absolute truth because he created absolute truth, because he actually embodies. He, he refers to himself at one point in, in the Gospel of John as truth. He is truth. He and truth are, are synonymous for one another. He believes in truth. He never shies away from sharing the truth, particularly when it is in regards to the sins that people commit against God. He is not a guy who believes that whatever you think is okay and whatever you do with your life is okay, I love you anyways. He came full of truth. He is the truth. But he's not just truth. He's grace and truth. What's beautiful about that is that he does not sacrifice he does not sacrifice truth one bit but what he does is he covers it with grace. Truth comes to us in the form of Jesus it comes to us covered in grace. Grace is the reason that we are saved. If Jesus was just truth we would all have to pay the penalty for our sins ourselves forever for eternity under his wrath. But because he's grace and truth, truth can exist within people who don't live out the truth, <laughs> within people who fail, among people who don't get it right all the time, people who need mercy, people just like us. And so we talk about grace-based daily discipleship. There are really two approaches um, to discipleship. Jesus perfectly balanced and dis displayed both grace and truth. Both are a part of who he is. But there are, there are two different ways of approaching discipleship. The first is the, the heavy law approach. This, when, this is, when this is embraced and, and, and played out in a church uh, it's kind of this idea that we're going to force each other to obey. We're going to force each other to do the right things. People see themselves as the sin police. We go around expect, inspecting one another's lives, looking for areas where someone, someone else needs to grow. The problem is, is that this produces fake and disenfranchised disciples of Jesus. When we take this heavy law approach to being a disciple and we're always just trying to pick at each other and say, well, you're not doing this right and you're not, you don't have this part right yet. And, and we're just always biting and devouring each other, as the Bible says, then this produces fake and disenfranchised disciples. People come to church and they're afraid to let everybody else know that they're struggling. And so they just cover it up with religiosity 
and they just act like everything's okay. They act like they have it all together. And people are afraid to confess their sins to each other, as the Bible says. People are afraid to ask for help in areas where they're weak. It becomes a show where whoever puts on the best front, whoever fakes it the best, is, is the one who is winning. I hate that kind of church. Because I think it hurts Jesus' people. I don't think that's what he wants for his church. And so we're not going to be that. We're not going to be the sin police. And he said, that's that. Let me give balance to this. That doesn't mean there's not accountability. That doesn't mean we don't call each other to appropriately live uh, out the things that we're talking about. It's, but there's, if you've experienced it, you know what I'm talking about. If you haven't experienced it, trust me, you don't want it. It won't help you love Jesus. It just produces shame and guilt and burdens that we can't possibly carry. That's one approach. The other approach is the grace approach. The other approach, and, 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 and I want to balance this as well. The grace approach does not mean that everything's okay and there's, there's no need to really try because you're covered in grace. No, what I mean by the grace approach is that we are compelled by the grace and mercy of Jesus Christ to pursue knowing and obeying him. We freely admit our weaknesses instead of hiding them. We encourage and exhort one another to keep stumbling forward toward Christ. The goal and the hopeful outcome is that we will be joyful, humble, and gracious disciples. That we look at each other and when we see each other failing, that we lovingly come along and try to encourage. That we lovingly try to support one, one another because we've been humbled by our own failures. And we're, so we're joyful. We're joyful because we know that Jesus loves us anyhow. We're joyful that we know that even though we're stumbling slowly towards him, he, by his mercy and grace, is drawing us nearer and nearer. Accountability and strong exhortation are not thrown aside, but they are just applied with more grace than law. That's the approach we want to take. That nobody in here is getting this thing right. That nobody in here is perfect. That, that nobody in here, you know, has, you know, has arrived in, in some way that they're here to judge the rest of us. That all of us together, when we look in the mirror and say, I'm failing in so many ways. But I'm so compelled by the love and the mercy and the grace of Jesus Christ that I'm going to keep fighting and I'm going to keep striving to move forward. And I'm going to find some people around me and I'm going to put my arms around them and say, let's do this together. Let's go forward. Let's strive to become more like Jesus together. That's what we mean by grace-based daily discipleship. Okay? We started with the idea of daily discipleship because we don't want this just to be about a religion or about things you believe, but we wanted it to be about actually following Jesus. But then as I thought about it, I thought there's really two different ways to do that, and I want us to be clear which one of those ways we're seeking to apply. It's the grace-based version. It's the version where we know that Jesus came and died, not because we were going to get this thing right, but because we all have let him down. We all fell in many ways. And we need his grace and his mercy every single day. And then we say, I just want to go back to, if you, if you have your hand out at the top of the page, the last line. In all of these areas, meaning walking with God, loving each other, seeking the lost. In all of these areas, we strive for what we call imperfect progress. That's the goal. Imperfect progress. But nobody's here to show off and show you how good they're doing this Christian thing. We're all just here saying... It doesn't always look pretty. It's not always going as fast as I want it to go. But the goal is that we keep moving forward, following Jesus day by day. And then the last part of that is relying on the grace and mercy of God each step of the way. All right. That's what we mean by grace-based daily discipleship. Most, most importantly here in that, as I, as I wrap things up, if you haven't yet given your life to being a disciple of Jesus. If you haven't yet responded to the call that Jesus has placed on your life to take up your cross and follow him, 
The call really to give up everything to gain even more. To be willing to leave behind anything that keeps us from knowing and following and serving Jesus to gain eternal life and to gain life with him. If you haven't responded to that, I want to invite you to become a disciple today. We do this by putting our faith in what Jesus has done on the cross. What he did on the cross was that he took the penalty and the payment for my sin. He took the penalty and the payment for your sin and all of our sin. And he went to the cross and he bore that penalty himself. He paid for your sins. So that he could give you forgiveness and eternal life. And he offers that to us, and it's by grace. It's not because you've worked for it. It's not because you've earned it. It's not because you deserve it. It's by grace. It's the gift that he gives freely to all who believe in him. So I want to invite you to believe in Jesus for salvation today. Understanding that that means that today, the day you trust in Jesus for your salvation, is the day you begin to follow him. And that by his grace, you will become a disciple. If you just close your eyes... Bow your heads so that there's a little bit of privacy in a room full of people right now. I want to invite the worship team to come up and begin getting ready to, to lead us in some more worship. But with our eyes closed and our heads bowed, I'm just curious if there's anybody here today who wants to respond to what Jesus has done for you by asking him to be your savior, to forgive you of your sins, and to give you eternal life. If there's anybody here today that wants to do that, would you just quickly slip up your hand so that I can know who I'm praying with today? Thank you. Let's pray. Jesus, we come to you as sinners needing mercy, needing grace, needing forgiveness. We believe that what you did on the cross was to save our souls to free us from the penalty that our sins deserve. And we thank you for coming and dying in our place. Jesus, would you come in and forgive us of all of our sins? Give us the gift of eternal life, which starts now and lasts forever. And help us to take up our cross and follow you as daily disciples. Not just Sunday Christians, but daily disciples. Thank you for this gift. Thank you for our salvation. In Jesus' name we pray.